Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at BeatitudesChurch.org. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society. Our scripture today comes from Genesis 47, verses 13 through 26. Joseph and the famine. There was no food. However, in the whole region, because the famine was severe, both Egypt and Canaan wasted away because of the famine. Joseph collected all the money that was to be found in Egypt and Canaan in payment for the grain they were buying, and he bought it, brought it to Pharaoh's palace. When the money of all the people of Egypt and Canaan was gone, all Egypt came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? Our money is all gone. Then bring your livestock, said Joseph. I will sell you food in exchange for your livestock, since your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph. And he gave them food in exchange for their horses, their sheep and goats, their cattle, and their donkeys. And he brought them through that year with food in exchange for all their livestock. When that year was over, they came to him the following year and said, We cannot hide from our Lord the fact that since our money is gone and our livestock belongs to you, there is nothing left for our Lord except our bodies and our land. Why should we perish before your eyes, we and our land as well? Buy us and our land in exchange for food, and we with our land will be in bondage to Pharaoh. Give us seed so that we may live and not die, and that the land may not become desolate. So, Joseph bought all the land in Egypt for Pharaoh. The Egyptians, one and all, sold their fields because the famine was too severe for them. The land became Pharaoh's, and Joseph reduced the people to servitude from one end of Egypt to the other. However, he did not buy the land of the priests because they received a regular allotment from Pharaoh and had food enough from the allotment Pharaoh gave them. That is why they did not sell their land. Joseph said to the people, Now that I have bought you and your land today for Pharaoh, here is seed for you so you can plant the ground. But when the crop comes in, give a fifth of it to Pharaoh. The other four-fifths you may keep as seed for the fields and as food for yourselves and your households and your children. You have saved our lives, they said. May we find favor in the eyes of our Lord. We will be in bondage to Pharaoh. So Joseph established it as a law concerning land in Egypt, still in force today, that a fifth of the produce belongs to Pharaoh. It was only the land of the priests that did not become Pharaohs. The story of Joseph is a beautifully written and super complicated story. 
And when I had to read the story to prepare for the sermon, the only thing that I could recall off the top of my head about Joseph was the story of the Technicolor Dreamcoat. I went immediately to Broadway. And so I had to recenter, come back, read the story again from beginning to end, and read it several times. I offer that as a brief introduction because I want to give a very quick survey that leads up to the verses that we'll be talking about today. Joseph was the son of Jacob, who lived as an immigrant in Canaan. Joseph was the youngest of his father's sons at that time, and he was the most favored. And as you can imagine, he was despised by his brothers. Joseph was both a shepherd and a dream interpreter. And dream interpretations throughout Genesis play a very important role. So here was a special gift that Joseph had. At an early age, Joseph had two dreams of being a leader. And the last of those two dreams had his brothers bowing down to them, him. And of course, he decided to share that with them. And you can imagine how his brothers responded. They sold him into slavery. And once he was a slave, he ended up gaining favor of his enslaver. That was until he was accused of lying with the enslaver's wife. And at that point, he was jailed. And after some time, he again found favor, this time with the jailer. He was in charge of the care of those who were incarcerated with him. During Joseph's imprisonment, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker were also imprisoned with him. The story continues with the cupbearer and the baker having dreams on the same evening. And the next morning when Joseph saw them in angst and despair, he approached them and asked them to share their dreams with him which he interpreted. And Joseph's interpretation came true. The, bank, the baker, unfortunately, was beheaded, and the cupbearer returned to Pharaoh's inner circle. The only thing Joseph asked for was to be remembered. Please remember me when you return to favor. Unfortunately, Joseph was not remembered for quite some time. Several years go by, and now it was Pharaoh who had dreams that he couldn't interpret. In fact, he dreamt two dreams on the same evening that no one in all of the land, none of his trusted advisors, could help him interpret. And it was at that moment that the cupbearer remembered Joseph and encouraged Pharaoh to call upon him for guidance. Guided by God, Joseph accurately interprets and predicts Pharaoh's dream of the seven years of bountiful growth and seven years of incredible famine. 
Joseph instructed Pharaoh to collect one-fifth of the growth to save for the years of famine. And at this time, Pharaoh was so impressed with Joseph that he made him governor, basically second in charge. And that brings us to the verses that we're talking about today, the verses that deal with the famine. Do all of our intentions turn out the way that we expect or anticipate? You know, when reading and listening to the verses that were shared this morning, one would wonder if this is what the pious and wise Joseph had intended. Did he intend to create a new class of slaves and give Pharaoh more power than what he had before the famine? In a complex text such as this, my natural approach is to offer a critique of the dangers of power while still trying to find a way to come at it through a spirit of love. There is a power of interpreting scripture or any history for that matter. And even with our best attempts, we might still get it wrong. Perhaps even just like Joseph. Before we delve deeper, I'd like to share with you that I believe that as religious practitioners and theologians, that it's our duty to read, reread, and reassess biblical texts to explore what is right and just in an ever-changing world, while at the same time not adding or taking anything away from the text. But I also believe that these are contemporary times, and these contemporary times require new context for us to call forth new responses and perhaps even highlight different priorities and perspectives. So I ask, how does this text impact us now? A quick reading shows us that Joseph appeared to be pious, mostly because the author leads us to believe that. But how can someone so pious end up enslaving an entire nation of people through the threat of scarcity. There are so many ways that others have written and read about these particular set of passages, and many of those that I agree with. Joseph's abuse of power, his mistreatment of the land, and even possibly using this opportunity as revenge for all of those who treated him so poorly. What could a text like this do to illuminate how we exist in a world at this very moment? So much has happened since March, since COVID-19 began to change our lives and the ways in which we exist on a daily basis. Many of us have had different dreams and ideas of what 2020 would look like, and yet 2020 is the year of COVID-19, social unrest, and an election here in America. Can you remember all the way back to March when we couldn't find toilet paper and other oddities? 
We couldn't find it because folks were storing up supplies. And in our collection of our necessities, did we ever stop to think who was left out or left without? And now, this week, 50% of our country has been devastated by the results of our election, while another 50% is celebrating and planning for what's next. Talk about a complex story and a complex moment to be in. Again, how do we approach a person like Joseph or even a story that's so complex so that our emotions don't get in the way and perhaps even trigger an anti-power or an anti-love critique? How do we come at this from a space of compassion and love and not a brittle spirit? Not just these texts itself, but even for our current moment. You know, what I find so special about the story of Joseph is that it is just that. It's a story. And over the last several months, as I was obtaining my clinical pastoral certification, I heard hundreds of stories from people. Stories of trauma, joy, loss, suffering, heartbreak, and a broad overall sense of not knowing what will come next. And even in the midst of that suffering, the stories almost always came back to shed light on the power of humanity, on the power of our ability to heal, to love, and the drive to seek out more than what is just in front of us. These stories connected me to the folks who were telling them. We were connected to one another in ways that I still have yet to really sort out. And that's the beauty and the power of story. It can help us better understand our purpose, our plight, and our shared existence. And so the story of Joseph actually reminds me of another story that has helped me over the years better understand humanity's search for purpose and commonality. And that's Octavia Butler's Parable of the Sower. Lauren, Octavia Butler's protagonist in this story, is perceptive, decisive, practical, and imaginative. And she always takes concrete action when faced with devastating events. Events such as shoring up supplies for an upcoming famine. And as you can imagine, she messes up. She fails. She alienates her own family. But yet she remains steadfast and faithful. So what is the commonality in all of these stories? For me, it is the fact that they are indeed stories meant to challenge us and highlight human potential. Story, whether fictional or someone's actual lived experience, frequently reveals complexity in our human condition. And we can see that in biblical narratives such as what we find in the story of Joseph, 
there is often a twofold casualty in which heroes resolve and God's plan intertwine. These stories have also helped me to see the presence of meeting someone where we are, teaching us to be flexible, humble, and loving. In trying to muddle through this complex text this week, I found time and time again, many theologians also struggled with the same thing, with the same text. But often they came back to God's faithfulness in keeping a covenant in spirit of human imperfection. We're imperfect, and yet the spirit of God is there. So what we can get from any story, in this case, this redemptive historical reading, does not preclude us from observing and learning from wise behavior or even from recognizing and avoiding folly whenever it shows up in scripture and in real life. Basically, God, the divine, meets us where we are, despite our flaws. How powerful is that? To meet each other where we are at as just a starting point. Monica Coleman, a professor of Africana Studies at the University of Delaware and also a minister in the um, African Methodist Episcopal Church, notes that in Octavia Butler's The Parable of the Sower and in the story of Joseph, that we can find symbolic relationships between God and the world. And she says, we are God and God is us. God is holy and so we too are holy. If we were to go back and reread the story of Joseph in its entirety, you know, I don't think we would actually find Joseph having a brittle spirit. I didn't find it. And by brittle spirit, I mean that he did not give in to despair. He did not critique or blame others. And ultimately, he always believed in his self. Did he do everything right? I don't think so. But is that the only thing that we can draw from the story of Joseph? You know, despite all that he went through, whether those were his own creation or by the creation of others, Joseph remained steadfast and believed not only in himself and in God, he believed in redemption, the redemption of his brothers and the relationship with his brothers. Speaking of brittle spirits, someone who talks about that a lot of late is um, somebody that I look up to a great deal, and it's comedian Dave Chappelle. And in a recent interview, he shared his unwavering belief in God and in humanity by saying, to believe that God is in control while recognizing that our efforts are our own, we still must continue to strive and to believe and do what we think is best, even if we don't really know what is best. Sounds like Joseph, right? He believed that God was in control while still striving to do what he thought was best, even 
if he didn't know. My approach to this text was try to understand it and come at it from a space of love and not critique. My approach to humanity is the same. How can we continue to explore our complicated existence, the complicated existence of humanity, while coming at it from a space and place of love? How can we resist being swept up into the negativity, developing a brittle spirit, and drawing divides with things that we don't agree with or with things that might even challenge us? For if we were all to agree, what is there left to learn? And today, we are unpacking so much of what it means to be an American, to be human, that I believe that we have to find a way to make room for redemption. While not everyone's suffering is mutually exclusive, by recognizing that, how can we still provide more room for redemption? I propose that the more room there is for redemption, the more opportunity there is for each of us to not only be honest with ourselves, but to be honest with one another. And if we want to be better versions of ourselves, I believe that we need honesty and forgiveness, just as Joseph models in chapter 45 and in 50. If we can honestly come forward and address what we all have done, what we all have participated in, maybe we can find out what is really happening and why injustices occur again and again and again. Friends, we all come from a lifetime of struggle, and yet it shapes us just like Joseph was shaped by his struggles. Ultimately, the story of Joseph's ascent to leadership to form a new nation, can you imagine the pressure of that? The pressure of forming a new nation of people, knowing what you know on how you got there? I think we should ask ourselves, what does being a leader look like? And what drives our expectations of leadership? Is it fair to read something like these verses or hear something that we disagree with and immediately be triggered? What understanding can come from that? We know that today there is not going to be an easy resolution around the corner but yet we can be hopeful. We can be like a reed in the wind and be uncomfortable at the same time. I believe there is power in story, telling, more so listening. And with that, I leave you with a familiar folk tale, a cautionary tale and one that I hope you can connect to not only how we view leadership, how we view Joseph, and perhaps even how we view ourselves. 
a giant oak near a brook in which grew some slender reeds. And when the wind blew, the great oak stood proudly, upright, with its hundreds of arms uplifted to the sky. But the reeds, well, they bowed low. They bowed low to the wind and sang a sad, mournful song. You have reason to complain, said the oak. The slightest breeze that ruffles the surface of the water makes you bow your heads, while I, the mighty oak, stand upright and firm before the howling tempest. Do not worry about us, replied the reeds. The winds do not harm us. We bow before them so we do not break. You, in all of your pride and strength, have so far resisted their blows, but the end is coming. And as the reeds spoke, a great hurricane rushed out of the north, and the oak stood proudly and fought against that storm, while the yielding reeds bowed low. The wind redoubled in a fury, and all at once that great tree fell, torn up by its roots, and lay amongst the pitying reeds. I encourage each of us this week and all of the weeks ahead to resist a brittle spirit and instead seek understanding, humbleness, forgiveness, redemption, and love. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can help us to continue this program by making your donations at beatitudeschurch.org backslash online giving. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society.